KQED. everyone, I'm Emmanuel. I'm Carly. And I'm Jamidra. And we're the hosts of The, the Cooler. Cooler. In true Carrie Bradshaw fashion, we couldn't help but wonder, how can it be 20 years this month since Sex and the City first hit our screens? And we all know that Carrie Bradshaw and advice go together like peanut butter and jelly. So this week, I'm going to dole out vintage relationship advice and some courtship dating customs. And we're going to use male tennis stars to teach a short but instructional course on how to be the best non-sexist ally you can be. It's not that hard, bro. Folks, as if you needed an excuse to ponder the frightening passage of time, Mm. this month represents 20 years since a little show called Sex and the City first premiered on HBO. How? 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 20 years. And so began my obsession with the adult tutu. My God. (laughs) So 1998 ran for six years until 2004. We don't talk about the movies. I don't recognize their existence. Hey, wild take. I like the first one. Oh, I mean, I go because I'm obligated to go as a fan. If they mm-hmm. come out with a third one, which Samantha has made clear is not going to happen, I will forever refer to her as Samantha. I was going to say. <laughs> uh, I would go see it. Yeah. I'm, they're not canon, guys. Come on. It's all about the show. So I have to ask, were you guys heavily into it? Because we were like, we were young'uns from 98 on. I mean, do you have to ask? So I, <laughs> so when we started, when I, they, when I did realize that it was 20 years since the show premiered, I went back and looked at when it started. 1998? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was in high school. So then I got to thinking, (laughs) where was my mama and what was I doing? Because I don't even know why I was watching Sex and the City in high school. Do you know who had to obtain parental (laughs) permission to watch Sex and the City? Your girl right here. Your girl currently. Oh, so the parents cleared it? So I was not allowed to watch it, I think around 13, 14, as the series was progressing. Mm -hmm. My mom was like, this is not for you. And I was like, I don't want to hear about boys anyway. And then a friend of mine announced that she was having a Sex and the City themed party. In high school? Slash sleepover, indeed. And mum said, well, I guess you better watch it then because you had to come as the character who you Mm. most resembled. So then I was in this weird situation of literally doing the research for the party with mum, sitting down, watching the episodes. I love that your mom was like, well, I guess you better watch it. Because my mom would have been like, well, I guess you ain't going there. <laughs> so <laughs> she flipped the script. No one saw that plot twist coming. Meanwhile, I had no parental supervision. And so my friend and I were drinking Cosmos. Oh, my God. They're very, they're very strong. And even if they knew, they would probably see the title and see the women on the DVD cover and think, oh, he's trying to learn how to have sex with women. Mm. It's fine. So do you think at that point they were like, this is a hopeful thing? Like, we Maybe. hope. That- <laughs> he's trying to have sex in a city. This is great. Right. The city could be Baltimore. It's like, I wonder which one of these women Emmanuel wants to have sex with instead of which one he wants to be. Exactly. He's such a carry. Oh. Totally. I've been seeing a lot written around the Googles around Sex and the City this month talking about like the impact that it had on TV and the kind of groundbreaking way that it talked about like sex and female sexuality Mm. and the ungroundbreaking, spectacularly crap job it did of representing everybody else, like people of color, LGBTQ folks. Like this is well documented, right? Mm -hmm. I think we've even touched on this in previous episodes. They did not do well at several points. It is not a perfect show. But I thought that we would take it back to where it all started. Season one, 
episode one. Ooh, I can hear the music already. So you guys have watched it, right? Absolutely did. And I, now I just realized that there are no black people there. I'm just used to it. As a person of color, None. you're used to being in places None. where there are no other black people. So I'm just like, this, this looks right. Yeah. New this York? Is, what? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you guys think, but this pilot episode, because it was the pilot, it was both worse and simultaneously better than I expected, strangely. Mm. Like... I definitely fell on the better than expected or better than I remembered it because I remember she had the brown hair mm-hmm. and I remember that there was a lot of breaking of the fourth wall. It was very Ferris oh, yeah, Bueller. Yeah, mm-hmm. camera, yeah. yeah. And like her interviewing sources and they're talking first person to the camera. I'm glad they let that go eventually. I'm so glad. But as a time capsule, I think it sells the premise of the show well and I would watch again. Everything about the show that the show eventually would become, they kind of laid the groundwork for it in that episode. And I was just wondering why Miranda had that suit on the entire time. Oh, she keeps it on. I was just like, girl. (laughs) It's to remind you of the ESQ at the end of her name. (laughs) Don't you forget. It's weird because watching the pilot, I recalled how many like misconceptions and misremembrances I had about Sex and the City. In my mind, they were all in their 20s when the show started, but they weren't. The whole point is that they are in their 30s mm-hmm. and they're slightly starting to think, oh, what's going to happen? Like marriage comes up so much in the pilot episode. So that's one thing that got me because like now I'm in my 30s. They still felt older than me. And I don't know if that's because when I started watching it, I was a kid. So in my mind, they will forever be older than me. But now that I'm in my 30s, I was watching and I was like, Miranda's not someone that I would hang out with with that suit on at the club. (laughs) It's all that indoor smoking they do as well. It's prematurely aging them. Oh, my God. The alternate title should have been, remember when we could smoke indoors? Nuts. Every scene. Every scene. It's like, ooh, Mr. Big, do you want a puff of my Cuban cigar? Oh, we are going to talk about those cigars. If you'd have asked me, how does the pilot episode of Sex and the City start? I would not have recalled that it began like this. Once upon a time, an English journalist came to New York. Elizabeth was attractive and bright, and right away she hooked up with one of the city's typically eligible bachelors. The question remains, is this really a company we want to own? What the hell? No. So I was watching it, and I was like, okay, the, the intro I remember, the typing, of course. You carry, that's what she does. Use the computer screen, the typing, the sound. And then as soon as the woman showed up in the cab, I was like, who this? Who, who this? I thought I'd press play on the wrong video like, on YouTube. <laughs> I was like, Carrie? No, that's not Carrie. And it was a further example of every bit of writing that we see from Carrie is always so trite and so basic like she literally starts with once upon a time it is nuts and obviously I have to point out that this woman has the world's worst English accent she sounds so I was gonna bring that up with you because I thought it was bad but I'm not English so beyond beyond and I do love how this like guy that she's meeting Carrie says they met one evening in a typical New York fashion in an art gallery oh yeah do people go to art galleries alone and then like get picked up i don't know is that a thing? may i comment there Could are be. so many art references in this pilot episode like yeah, so many are. like oh my god you have this guy on your wall and he's so hot right now and it's nuts it's, i thought i was watching like an art history show yeah too smart for me so it starts like that it's so strange this woman by the way she's positioned as one of carrie's like good friends i don't believe you ever see her again no she was ghosted by her boyfriend and then maybe she ghosted carrie because you know her people hurt people But what I will say is that I love the fact that this woman coming in leads to probably my favorite line from the entire pilot. When she hadn't heard from him for two weeks, she called. Tim, it's Elizabeth. It's an awfully long rain check. He said he was up to his ears and that he'd call her the next day. He 
never did call, of course. Bastard. She told me one day over coffee. I don't understand. In England, looking at houses together would have meant something. <laughs> that accent is absolutely oh, horrible. In England, looking at houses together would have meant something. something, you guys. Wow. And her saying rain check while it's raining. Oh, wow. It's amazing. I mean, how was this show famous for like its sparkling dialogue? It's pretty bad. Cupid has flown the co-op. <laughs> they have a way with words. As a writer, I'd like to know how you feel about Carrie Bradshaw's writing. Like I said, I think she's basic. And also, I would like to live in a world where you could be a freelance writer and pay for an apartment and cocktails at the same time while writing a once a week column. So we can do a whole episode on how Sex in the City set us all up for failure. Yes. And unrealistic yeah. expectations exactly. in the world. Yes. Yeah. It, it like it impacted my fiscal policy. Exactly. And I have not been reaping the benefits <laughs> for years afterwards. I know we've touched on Sex and the City's numerous uh, problematic aspects before, but let's be honest, it was pretty clear right out of the gate in this pilot with lines like this. That's the problem. You know, I I'm too nice, you know? I'm a romantic. I just have so much feeling. Are you sure you're not gay? No. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oof. And the only gay representation we get is Stanford, while perfectly fine, Anytime I watch the show, I'm like, oh, I wish they could have had a more dynamic character because we only get one slot mm, until later seasons slot. where we get Charlotte's quote unquote gay. Although I don't believe straight women own gays, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> also, shout out to the drag queens who deliver the birthday cake. Can I say um, something about that birthday party? Please do. So drag queens bring out a birthday cake to Miranda, mm -hmm. and it's her 30th birthday or one of the 30s. And I'm thinking, oh my God, that looks like so much fun. I want to be with Miranda and be one of her friends at this party. But then Carrie has an alternate take. Quote, another 30-something birthday with a group of unmarried female friends. We would all have preferred a nice celebratory conference call. It's like, why Ooh. aren't you having fun? It's not that deep. I, I don't understand that. And it kind of set up this idea that is unraveled for the rest of the series where it's like, oh, well, if you don't have a man, mm -hmm. then you're just treading water with, you know, silly things like friendship until he arrives and sweeps you off your feet and saves you. And I don't really like that. But from the get-go, they are surprisingly like existential about not having steady men mm -hmm. like this is a source of like almost like pain to them it comes up again and again i'm glad you said that because like even samantha who i remember as being the one who gave no f's about men at all and had no emotional attachment to men it was all about sex even in the pilot episode she was like throwing herself at big and i was like Plot what twist. is i was like what girl why she was just like first of all can we just address the fact that she said that he was the he was the new Donald Trump. Oh, what did she say? Oh, oh, actually, let's hear that moment. You see that guy? He's the next Donald Trump, except he's younger and much better looking. I was like, why is she thirsting after this man? I don't get it. If her whole stance is like, I'm independent, I don't care, we have the power. And we don't need to sort of like run behind men. So I didn't get it. And then she has that like sad look on her face when she goes back home mm -hmm. with the guy. And he's like, you have to leave. Like, I have to get up early in the morning. And like the camera kind of goes to her face and she just looks really dismayed by it. And that mm -hmm. is not the Samantha I remember. Right? Something that happened after that Donald Trump moment, Carrie says, quote, Samantha has the kind of deluded self-confidence that caused men mm -hmm. like Ross Perot to run for president. And it usually got her what she wanted. And I feel like that's very prescient because <laughs> Ross Perot had the confidence to run for president and Donald Trump eventually had the same confidence that Samantha had. And it worked out for him. Things worked out for Samantha as well. Maybe we should Not all just go out there like <laughs> mediocre white men and make it happen. 
it's worth pointing out, of course, that Donald Trump also had the confidence to have a cameo in a later episode Ugh. of Sex and the City called The Man, The Myth, The Viagra. I blocked that oh. out. I don't even remember that episode. I, yeah. And like in the previous clip, the sounds like the kind of pulsing sounds you were hearing are club chaos at which a lot of the pilot episode is set. Can we just talk about club chaos for a second? Mm. Come break it down. Friday night at chaos. It was just like that bar in Cheers where everybody knows your name. Except here, they were likely to forget it five minutes later. Can we just talk about the animal sound that very clearly happens? Like, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> it's a party. That's what it is. What was New York in the 90s? And the woman with the lampshade on her head? I was like, what are you? I don't understand. What's happening here? I thought I hallucinated the woman with the lampshade nope. hat. But you she saw looked it. really you pleased about her friend. lampshade hat. You saw it. Like the frosted lip that is going on in that club. Mm-hmm. It is unreal. But this is presented as New York's hottest ticket. It looks like crap. And I know that I said that that house hunting bit was my favorite line, but this bit that happens in Club Chaos, I had to point it out. Back at Chaos, things were swinging into high gear, and Samantha was putting the moves on Mr. Big. I've been smoking cigars for years, back when they were terminally uncool. I've got this great source that sends me Hondurans. You want to try one? No, thank you. No, you can't find them anywhere. Cohibas. That's all I smoke. I have been going around for the last five days saying, Cohibas, that's all I smoke. That is the first time we hear the name Mr. Big. Mr. Big is really uncool. Yeah. Also, for the whole series, it's like, oh, his name is Mr. Big. He's this big mystery. When is she going to be able to get through to him and like see his inner world? And it's kind of like Al Capone's vault. It's Mm -hmm. like, nothing's in there, girl. (laughs) And his real name is John. It wasn't even like, you know, Lancelot or like... Lancelot? You want him to be called Lancelot? Yeah, Yeah. Like, they built it up over six-plus seasons, and then it's like, oh, he's just a regular John who mm. calls her a hooker. Ooh, I was gonna, he does. I was going to say. And then says, oh, I know you've never been in love, and then leaves her on the curb. And it's like, we're supposed to swoon over this guy? Mm. Well, speaking of Mr. Big, is it a safe space to admit that I thought that Chris North was a Baldwin all these years? <laughs> I really did. I was like, I was shocked. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up, because in the course of my research, to bring you this quiz... That I'm going to unveil for you. That's what I found out. That the series creator Darren Star originally wanted Alec Baldwin for the role. Okay, so then I'm not crazy. I felt the big. I felt the big. Mm -hmm. I felt the Baldwin energy that they were trying to pull down, and so that's why (laughs) I thought he was a Baldwin. But okay. And so, guys, without further ado, I'm going to test your knowledge of Sex and the City. Oh, come through. Oh boy. Slightly unconventional questions. Number one, which fellow cast member has Sarah Jessica Parker known since they were children? Is it A, Kristen Davis, Charlotte? Is it B, Cynthia Nixon, Miranda? Or is it C, Kim Cattrall, Samantha? It ain't Kim, because Kim don't, she, Kim she has, play. she said that she put her in the Big Sean category. You can look <laughs> that up if you want to know what that song is about. I'm going to say, I don't acknowledge their birth names. I acknowledge their sex and the city mm-hmm. names. So I'm going to say... Miranda. Emmanuel? I agree it's Miranda because I know this for a fact. You are so right. It is Cynthia Nixon, birth name. They met when they were 13, filming a movie of the week in Nashville. How cute. They have known each other for a long time. They go back. Also, Miranda, well, Cynthia Nixon, future governor of New York. Mm Yeah. I'm pulling for you, girl. Mm -hmm. Actually has blonde hair, but they made her have red hair for this show because they were like, oh, that would mean three blondes and one brunette. We Mm. need diversity 
Not black people, though. Okay. Never that. <laughs> Question two. Cosmopolitans were, of course, the tipple of choice for oh, the yeah. Sex and the City ladies. But according to the dietary experts at Oprah.com, how many calories are Ooh. there in a cosmopolitan cocktail? Hmm. I will accept to the nearest 10. How many? 50. 50. Interesting. Mm. Jamidra? Not that many, because it's literally just vodka and cranberry juice, but it depends on the cranberry juice. And if you've got the fresh squeeze, then you can really... You've okay. also got some Cointreau in yeah, there, yeah. may I remind a you. A little bit of Cointreau, but not that much if you're making it right. I'll say 150. You're both wrong. <gasps> you're way off. Huh? 212 calories. Bowsers. And fun fact, those cocktails were never real that they were sucking down in all their scenes. They were either coloured water or fruit juice. Give me the fruit juice. Don't give me coloured water. Yeah, like, why would they? I guess Cranberry juice exists. Diet or something. But... And then you'll have a very healthy you-know-what. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Question three. The iconic title sequence shows Carrie getting splashed by this bus that bears her face while wearing a tutu. Mm-hmm. But who made the tutu, guys? Is it A, vintage Givenchy? Is it B, a genuine ballerina tutu from the New York City Ballet Costume Department? Or is it C, found for $5 in a discount bin by costumier Patricia Field? Um, it's the last one, because I just read all about this tutu and the significance of it. Oh, sorry. So I'll go with Jamidra and say that Jamidra just read it, so it must be true. God damn it, we've Googled all the same articles. Yes, Patricia Field found it for five bucks in a discount bin. Right, yeah. moving swiftly on, question four. Which now sort of famous person played not one, but two different people on Sex and the City? Is it A, Jennifer Aniston's ex-husband, Justin Theroux? Is it B, Angelina Jolie's ex-husband, Johnny Lee Miller? Or is it C, Halle Berry's ex-husband, Gabriel Aubrey? I think it's Zaddy Extraordinaire, Justin Theroux. Jamindra? Um, Damn, you know, I don't even know what the other two look like. No, I know what I know what Aubrey looks like, and I don't think it was him, so I'll take B. Emmanuel, you're right, it's oh. Justin Theroux. Mm, yes. He played novelist for both of them, right? He played douches for both of them. Okay, One of it. whom is called and, Vaughn. Oh, and wow. wait, and significant characters that actually had names? Yeah, not like, yeah, yeah. I love it when they did. Law and Order is good for that, too. I'm like, wait a minute. That was the suspect a couple seasons ago. And now. <laughs> Next question. Carrie asks 92 questions over six seasons of Sex and the City. But which one of these was not a real question that she posed in one of her columns? Hmm. A, are we simply romantically challenged or are we sluts? <laughs> B, are all men freaks? Or C, are men just women with balls? Whoa. Which one's fake? Um, C? I'm going to go with C as well, because I feel like she would say both A and B. Sorry, guys, I played you. They're all real questions posed by Carrie. Okay, so now I need to go back to the episode where she asked about the balls and the men, because I I need to know. Wow. Wow. I know. follows that? True. You know, well done, everyone. I think you did a great job. Thank Um, you so much for compiling that. Here are your certificates of uh, (laughs) Sex and the City accomplishment. I redeem this for Free Cosmo? You certainly cannot, because you didn't put the quantum. Okay, y'all. Now, if we learned anything from our friends on Sex and the City, it's that sometimes we can all use a little advice in the relationship department, yes? Mm, Not from those women. Oh. (laughs) 
<laughs> just going to put that out there. Well, in addition to the folks that we lean on, since clearly you would be Colin Miranda or any of those <laughs> other ladies, uh, we also look to columnists and, quote, relationship experts to help us out over the years. And some of us have relied on traditions, you know, customs that are handed down by our parents and aunts and so forth. So I thought it'd be fun to look back at some vintage relationship advice and some customs and see if there's anything that we're willing to pull into 2018. I'm here for this. So I'm going to start back in ancient times. Ooh, get the stone tablet. <laughs> yes. How ancient? Elizabethan era. Sounds ancient to me. So say you're feeling somebody, right? You want to attract them. Okay. I'll give you some advice on how to go about that. So you start with an apple. Ooh. Okay. Well, first I have to get off my horse. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Pretty much everyone's on horseback, right? So once you get the apple, you got it. Now I want you to skin the apple. Now, tuck it under your armpit. Oh. Ooh. And then you walk. Maybe do something that's going to make you sweat. Maybe dance. Maybe go out in the field and do a little bit of work, some farming. And then I want you to give that apple to your beloved. Because oh. now they will have the scent of you. They will think about you. And this will bring you two closer together. Oh, pheromones. Jamidra, yeah. that is foul. <laughs> <laughs> I feel nauseous. So I just canceled my plan to do that for you. <laughs> not going to do it? Yeah, not again. <laughs> okay. Well, so you're not going to try that. Okay, so what if you want to take things to the next level with someone that you're interested in? Does it have to involve fruit? Well, you get the banana, and then you put the condom <laughs> on the banana, and you slowly roll it down. Hey, some of us genuinely learned that way, all right? So if you're in a Nordic country, you would literally put your knife in her sheath. Excuse oh. me? Oh, oh. Now, that sounds dirtier than it is. So basically... That's what they call it in the Nordic streets. That's what the, yeah, in, the, in, in these Nordic streets, that's uh-huh. how we get down. Shout out Norway. <laughs> so basically, father gives a sheath to his daughter when she becomes of age. She puts it on. She walks around. And her suitor, or possible suitors, if they're interested, they walk up, stick that knife right in the sheath. Now, if she likes him, she keeps it. If she doesn't, she's like, sir, take your knife back, will you? Whoa. That's very Viking. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, And if you don't like the guy, you get a free knife. Now... Say you want to invite a guy over, but just want to talk. The way you make it explicitly clear that nothing is going to happen is you may want to do something called binding. Now, this is what they did back in 16th and 17th century Europe. You lay in bed, and there's a board between you, and you bind the woman's legs so that there is no hanky-panky. So this is so you guys can talk, and your intentions are clear. So when you're like, "I'm gonna go, let's go back to my place, you're like, I'm just going to set a few things up real quick, just so you know what this is. Lay down on the bed. You put the board down. Bind the legs. We're just here to talk. Why don't we bind his knife, if you will? You know what? And I will. Tuck him. (laughs) And then we don't have any problems. Exactly. Netflix and bind. (laughs) (laughs) Now let's go to the 1950s, 1960s. We're going to paddle over, if you will, across the pond. That accent was almost as bad as uh, your girl from... Almost. Almost. (laughs) Let me tell you, in England, guys, house hunting would have meant something. (laughs) Well, you know what else meant something? Here in the 1950s, if you were trying to date, if you got a pair of gloves in the mail from a suitor. You must have quit. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. Now, if OJ sends you a pair of gloves, Mm -hmm. you got a pair of gloves in the mail and you decided to wear them to church on Sunday, then your boy would know that you chose him and wanted to be with him. It's like, Mm. my sheath is ready for you tonight. (laughs) So now let's get to some old school dating advice. Now that we've left the ancient times. So say you're on a date. And you want to flatter your date. Okay. According to Dorothy Dixon, who was a journalist back in the 1950s, you don't want to be too obvious. So you want to be very subtle. Hmm. Maybe you should, quote, ask him if he ever has thought about going into the pictures. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. Also, you want to implore him to write the president and tell him how to settle the farm relief bill because you are what? so knowledgeable this about like that. This is like sexy tool? Yes. And then also uh, how to deal with our, quote, Japanese situation. Oh, oh. I'm yeah. out. I'm out. I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, if you want to get a guy's attention, according to a little book with the problematic title, Published in 1969, How to Get a Teenage Boy and What to Do When You Get Him. Oh. Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah. If you want to get his attention, you should, quote, tell him that his shoulders look tense and that he should move them in a circle. Then you demonstrate the motion because Mm. when your shoulders are back, your chest will look good. It's like, I have breasts. Also, if you want to know how to behave on a date, you're not allowed to speak women. Ladies, you should know this. Mm. So basically, the man is going to order for you. I know that this advice is from decades ago, mm. but let's remember in the pilot episode of Sex and the City, Charlotte literally gives the advice, if you want to get these guys, you have to keep your mouth shut. Mm-hmm. That was 98. Clearly, she was listening to this advice, which came from 1950, an issue of uh, Women's Own, whatever that magazine was. That's a British magazine. Mm. <laughs> Tragically, I know that. Is it? Women's Own, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So say you're on a date and you're lost for a conversation. You don't know what to say, right? You're like, that Japanese problem. (laughs) And then you start moving your shoulders. (laughs) And then you don't order the steak because that's what he does for you. Exactly. Well, according to Arthur Art Unger, who wrote a book called The Cookbook, what you want to do is say shocking things. Anything. Because he'll be too stunned to realize what a bad conversationalist you are. So just shout out things. (laughs) Just shout random things. Shock him. And if you're wondering what to wear under your outfit when you go on a date. Always. Carly. Nothing. Always frilly. Always fresh and always pink. According to uh, Dr. William Joseph Robinson. Uh, He had a book that he wrote called Women, Her Sex and Love Life. Because he is clearly an expert on her sex and love life. Clearly. Frilly and pink. Yeah. Is that the original title of Pretty and Pink? (laughs) Frilly and Pink. And I think we cannot have a segment about relationship advice without at least throwing in some advice from Cosmo. Yes? No, no, I'm afraid. Yes, yes. I don't think I have ever dared to take a single sex tip from Cosmo. Are you serious? I would like to apologize (laughs) to a few men. Your husband's like, if only. If only. After the date is over and you get him home, of course, you want to use a little pepper to spice things up, literally. Uh, I have a friend that did that and she ended up in the ER. (laughs) (laughs) I need to hear that story. Uh You will. So according to Cosmo, you want to, quote, sprinkle a little pepper under his nose right before he climaxes. Sneezing can feel similar to an orgasm and amplify the feel-good effect. I'm picturing the woman with one of those, like, big cracking pepper things (laughs) and just being like, shh, shh, shh. Over him when he's like, whoa, spice up your life. Exactly. To MP3. So if you're not using pepper in the bedroom, then clearly you're doing it wrong. I just use salt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there you have it. Summer's officially here, so go forth. Use these hookup tips. Apple, anyone? Do not use any of these tips. <laughs> <laughs> It's the big and the big. Hey, the big and the big. Hey. That song means that it's time to look at the highs and lows of this week in pop culture. Mm. Are you guys ready? I think I am. Born ready. (laughs) All right, we'll start with the bad stuff and then go up from there. Get it out Mm. of the way. I don't expect much from male athletes. Do you? 
Mm. Especially when it comes to feminism, they're not the people that I look to for like paragons of wokeness. Yet I'm still surprised when one of them says something boneheaded. Oh no. And this time, it's tennis star Rafael Nadal. Oh, not Rafa. In a recent interview in an Italian magazine called Io Donna. Mm. You have to say it like that. Okay. He was asked, in tennis, should women earn as much as men? Just say yes. Just say yes. Just say yes. Just say yes. That's it's a really easy. Simple just say yes. Response. Even if you don't believe yeah. it, just say yes. Have you seen the hashtags or you just, where are your people? He did not just say oh, yes. Of course. Instead, he said this, quote, it's a comparison we shouldn't even make. Female models earn more than male models, and nobody says anything. Why? Because they have a larger following. In tennis, too, who gathers a larger audience earns more. I'm so glad that someone is finally drawing attention to the plight of male models. Mm, I just like to <laughs> compare his audience and Serena Williams' audience. But, exactly you know, I'm just, what I was going mm. to say. Try again. Serena's here. <laughs> Venus is here. Maria's here. We got people Do who bring big crowds meanwhile uh who you because that's the first time i've heard his name (laughs) you don't know him you don't know him no mariah also probably does not know her (laughs) and it's also bizarre that he feels like it's as if women had equality it would have to be paid for by him it's like Mm. there's no sweat off your back he's he's subsidizing the equality it's like (laughs) no one's asking rafa to write checks also there would be more interest in women's sports if they were promoted and marketed as heavily as male sports so it all comes back to the patriarchy he doesn't get that though and also like it kind of reminds me of the whole hollywood thing oh we can't make female driven comedies let alone any kind of movie because it's too niche people Mm. won't know how to relate to women there just aren't that many women around though that's the thing but we've seen girls trip we've seen bridesmaids oceans eight we want to see these movies but Raphael maybe doesn't when he wins a grand slam pregnant then he can talk yeah until then highlight me then zip it so I wanted to like kind of have some balance with this because not all tennis players who are men are awful, I'm sure. You're such mm. a Libra. First we go low, then we go high. Yeah. yeah. So I found a British tennis player, Andy Murray. Andy Murray, who I used to dislike, but now I imagine for the reasons you're about to outline, I think is rather cool. You really? will like him. He shows how easy it is to stand up for what's right. It really is not difficult at all. In 2013, when asked whether he watches women's tennis, he seemed confused as to why it was even a question. And he said, I mean, I just like tennis, so I follow it. Okay. Like, it's part of the whole thing. Why wouldn't I watch that? In 2014, he hired a woman as his coach. MBD, right? Come through. Oh, no. Everyone lost their minds. And over the next year or two, kept asking him about his decision to have a woman coach. He said things in her defense, like the following. Quote, if it helps bring more female coaches into men's sport and women's sport, that's a good thing because there's absolutely no reason why someone like Amelie can't help me. There's no reason for her to be criticized for anything. I think so far this week we have shown that women can be very good coaches as well. Duh. The fact that that even has to be said. I know. Then the following year, people are still on this thing about him hiring a woman. How dare he? And so he had to say, have I become a feminist? Well, if being a feminist is about fighting so that a woman is treated like a man, then yes, I have become a feminist. (sighs) Andy, you're saying good things. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying the right things. In 2016, the issue of equal pay came up. We already know what Raphael thinks. We know how he feels. Andy thinks, quote, 
Women should have equal pay 100%. The whole controversy is pretty disappointing. Come through, Andy. You know what? I'm going to follow you on Twitter when Indeed. we get out of here. So in, again, 2016, a BBC host, John Inverdale, declared that Murray was the first person to win two Olympic gold medals in tennis, and Andy was like, girl, what? No. Mm -hmm. You're the first person ever to win two Olympic tennis gold medals. That's an extraordinary feat, isn't it? Um, I think Venus and Serena have won about four each. Oh, <laughs> It's like, uh, citation needed, and here it is. Yes, Venus and Serena have done this multiple times, and I'm not special. And finally, just last summer, he corrected another reporter who said that some dude named Sam Query was the first American tennis player to reach the semifinals in a major championship since 2009. And guess what? Murray was here to say, incorrect. Andy, Sam is the first U.S. player to reach a major semifinal since 2009. How would you describe Male player. The... I beg your pardon? Male player, right? Yes. Yeah. First male player. Oh. You better come through and shut him down. So, all you men out there, be an Andy Murray, not a Rafael Nadal. It ain't that hard. No. And moving on to our peak of the week, although Andy is kind of part of that. I would mm. say. So, as you two know, I got real fed up with this royal wedding nonsense. I was taken aback by that. I, I, remember, I remember the gifts and memes that you sent me when I tried, when I tried it. Yes, you would both try to engage me in conversation around this. And if you remember, I used an image of Carrie Bradshaw did. bringing it back to Sex and the City where she's holding up her breakup post-it and it says, I'm sorry, I can't, don't hate me. Mm -hmm. Like, nothing against you guys. I just can't talk about this wedding anymore. I don't care. You were surprisingly consistent with your use of that gift as well. <laughs> Every time. Not even accompanied by words most of the time. No, he just like, bloop. Yep. I was like, oh, well, yep. Car Carly, let's go offline. What yeah. was that? <laughs> Yeah, go over there. And you guys respected my boundaries. I thank you for that. And these days we don't really hear about the royals as much as we used to. It's still like, oh, she left the house. Mm -hmm. Look at this. But it's, you know, died down a little bit. But in a surprising twist, I'm going to actually bring up Meghan Markle right now. Oh, oh really? I think mm -hmm. I know where this is. Go ahead. So despite not wanting to hear every tiny aspect about her wedding or her crazy white side of her family. Oh, yeah. <laughs> although that was kind of yeah. <laughs> That was everything. I tried to talk to you about that and you would have none of it. Yeah. It was, I'm sorry I can't. Don't hate me. But like, despite all that, I have mad respect for Megan and her hustle. She started as a suitcase girl on Deal or No Deal. She then became a TV star and then she became a duchess. If she taught Come Up 101 at Yale, mm. I would enroll. Her theme song should literally be like, start it from the bottom. That, that is her. When yes. she walks into <laughs> any royal palace. Yeah. But I'm going to take you back before Harry, before Suits, the show that we don't watch and never will, mm -hmm. before the suitcase, back to 1993. And if you're having trouble placing where that is in the 90s, I have some guideposts. Mm -hmm. A little snapshot, if you will. Mariah's Dream Lover and Hadaway's What is Love? That's a Jam. bop and a half. <laughs> Beyond. They were some of the most requested songs on the radio at the time. Mrs. Doubtfire, Homeward Bound, Ooh. and Hocus Pocus were flying off the shelves at Blockbuster. Yeah. I know. I was grabbing some of those. All Blockbuster right. still existed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the days. And new TV shows were debuting every day, like The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Boy Meets World, and Living Single. Oh. Mm -hmm. So 93 was a good Classics. Yeah. What were you guys doing in 93? Watching all of those shows mm -hmm. and going to Blockbuster and renting all those videos. Yeah. There you go. I was, I was looking after a tiny horse in Yorkshire. That's <laughs> not a euphemism or an exaggeration. That's literally all I was doing. I was wondering why I felt so tingly when I would see the Green Ranger, Power Ooh. Ranger, that is. Oh. Ooh, Tommy. Anyway, at this time, Meghan Markle was 12 years old. And she was already making headlines 
for being woke, even woker than Andy Murray, if you mm-hmm. will. So a lot of kids in 1993 got their news from Nick News, and it was hosted by this white woman that we could trust, Linda Ellerby. <laughs> <laughs> and Megan got the show's attention by calling out sexism while watching a commercial in her social studies class. My name is Megan Markle. I'm 12 years old. The gloves are coming off. Women are fighting greasy pots and pans with ivory clear. When I first saw the commercial, I was furious. Women are fighting greasy pots and pans. And I said, I don't think it's right for kids to grow up thinking these things, that just mom does everything. Preach a sister. And guess who ain't never got to wash another dish in her life? (laughs) Right? (laughs) She had the last laugh. So Megan decided to help dismantle patriarchy by writing a polite but strongly worded letter to the CEO of the company that put out this commercial. Dear sir, last week at my school, we decided to watch the news for social studies. We saw a commercial for the new ivory clear dishwashing liquid. In the commercial, they said women are battling grease, meaning only women do dishes. When I heard this, the boys in my class started saying, yeah, that's where women belong in the kitchen. They knew it hurt my feelings. It makes me feel like they're gonna grow up thinking that girls are less than them. You know, like boys are better than girls. So I was wondering if you would be able to change your commercial to people all over America. Thank you, Meghan Markle. She's a baby feminist icon. You know, people were like, oh, what are the royal family going to do to Meghan Markle? I think she's gonna be fine. (laughs) What is she gonna do to them? Exactly, exactly. She's gonna make them wake up. I'm excited. When hearing this story and watching this video, I was like, okay, the chances of that this company is actually going to listen to the concerns of a young girl and change the way they do things, slim to none. But I'm glad that she got to voice her truth in some way and then be featured on national television. Hmm. Like, yay for her. It's a win already. But never underestimate Meghan Markle's <laughs> hustle. <laughs> Three months after Meghan wrote to the president of the company, Procter & Gamble changed the commercial. The gloves are coming off. People are fighting greasy pots and pans with ivory clear. If you see something that you don't like or offended by on on television or any other place, write letters and send them to the right people, and you can really make a difference for not just yourself, but lots of other people. That has almost made me cry like so many (laughs) times. The music, literally the music. (laughs) The last piano plink. People a people. Exactly. That's what she said. That's what Depeche Mode said, too. <laughs> she is innocent. She is idealistic. She is an activist since she was 12. So I'm excited for whatever she's going to do to the royals, and maybe she'll make them less insufferable, and then I won't have to send you guys the Carrie Bradshaw image mm. every time you want to talk about them. Guys, we could have either a metaphorical or a very literal revolution, which is very exciting. And speaking of revolutions... French people love them. They, they do. Really? <laughs> oh, a little bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow's officially the first day of the summer, and nothing makes me feel like skipping down the street with some of those, like, heart-shaped sunglasses, mm, oh, drinking yeah. some lemonade and, like, feeling summer vibes. Come through, Lolita. Then, right. <laughs> then listening to French pop. Oh. Yeah. It's, you know, specific to me. That's a je ne sais quoi. Yeah. So there is a French language track called Bout de Toi which means after you, and it's by a band named Anemone. Try saying that five times. Won't even say it once. Yeah, it's hard. I I barely did it just then. (laughs) It is guaranteed to make you more joyful, 
It'll also probably make you want to brush up on your French language skills. Mm-hmm. Vive l'été. That means long live summer, but I made it like Italian, so I'm sorry ah, to all the French speakers out there. You are just bringing Europeans together. Yeah. So until next time, a bientôt. This episode was edited by me, Emmanuel Hapsis, with help from Ashley Ann Craigbaum. All original music is by Carolyn Pennybacker Riggs. And as always, our podcast papa is David Marcus. Until next time, find us on social media. I'm at Jimmy Says on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Teacup in the Bay on all relevant platforms. And I'm at Excuse My Beauty with the first D on Instagram without the first D on Twitter. Bye. Bye.